Decorating Pages is a podcast dedicated to taking you behind the scenes of the designs of your favorite TV shows and films. Each episode, I'll be sharing design stories from some of Hollywood's most famous sets, interviews from set decorators, production designers, directors, and actors about creating the look of TV and film, about their design inspirations, and stories that take sets from page to screen. Hello, and welcome to Decorating Pages. I'm your host, Kim Wanup. Happy holidays, everyone. I hope your year was filled with love and joy, and that you are catching up with all the great holiday movies like It's a Wonderful Life, uh, Christmas Story, mm, The Holiday, and of course, Die Hard. So as for me, a little boasting here, The Good Place is nominated for an Art Directors Guild Award. Yay! I'm nominated with the production designer Ian Phillips, the art director Adam Morrell, the graphic designer Graham Radcliffe, and the set designer Camille. I'm not even going to attempt your last name. Sorry. Sorry, girl. Uh, We're very excited, and uh, I hope we win because I've been nominated five times. Uh, They've eluded me five times, and so I'm hoping this sixth time is the charm. Hope so. Fingers crossed. I finished filming Moxie this week, the feature that I've been working on for Netflix, and it's been a great experience. Amy Poehler is directing this film, and it's about teenage female empowerment and how the strength of an idea that people believe in can change minds and can, you know, change history. I was on Parks and Rec when Amy directed an episode, and it's like, oh, cool, that'll be fun. But this time, I mean, to get this opportunity to watch her produce and direct this cast, it's been a real lesson just watching her. It's weird to say that I'm proud of her because it's a weird thing to say. I guess I'm proud to be a part of a film and what it represents. And it was uh, very female empowered behind the camera. I also have to applaud Netflix for that. I think I heard that the film will be out next fall, so I hope you'll check that out. In the new year, I'm going to have a bonus episode talking about The Good Place um, with my fellow nominees, and we're going to talk about the episode that we were nominated for. So that should be fun, early January. And also uh, my good friend, Ethan Goodwin, who is a set deck buyer, and we have worked on and off together for years. Uh, he loves to leave me for bigger and better projects, but uh, I still love him. I'm really excited because he has a hell of a resume, including Gone Girl, the upcoming show Perry Mason, For All Mankind, Homecoming, Good Place Veep, Parks and Rec, of course. But uh, he's a f- phenomenal buyer, and I'm excited because I haven't had a buyer on yet. So the description of that position is vital in my world. Um, So I'm really happy that he'll be able to talk to you about it. This is uh, an episode with the set decorator, David Smith. I'm giving you two of them. Uh, David likes to talk, but he's so interesting that I found it very hard to edit. And I found it even harder, especially to edit this first episode, because it's, he talks a lot about how he got into this business and the struggles of um, being in New York and Los Angeles and his getting into the union. So I want people to hear that because that's 
part of the problem when you start out in this business of how am I going to get in. Um, so I, I found it very interesting in that aspect for anyone who's interested in that. Uh, David has a 30-plus year career set decorating. Films like Crazy Stupid Love, Little Fockers, Imagine That, The Holiday, Shop Girl. Um, he talks uh, also about his TV work, which uh, his latest was Unbelievable on Netflix, which I thought was a phenomenal piece of work. Parenthood, Army Wives, The Guardian, throwback to NYPD Blue and L.A. Law, even a little guiding light and as the world turns. I have come to know him through the SDSA and he was kind enough to help me out on Veep last season when I suddenly left to have twins, but I knew he was coming on. It was just more sudden than we thought. He has been nominated for three Emmys and four daytime Emmys. He's such a sweet and generous man who has great taste and an abundance of uh, finely, I don't know how to say it, um... He wears a good Paisley shirt, let's put it that way. So there's always a little pizzazz in his shirts, which I appreciate. And a little surprise, once again, invoking my learning curve here with this podcast, my mic didn't really pick up my voice as much as I would want it to. So apologies. I hope you enjoy. David Smith. Hi. Hi, Kim. Hi, Kim Wanup. How are you? I'm so good. It's always so good to see your smiling face. Ah, uh, thank you. And vice versa. Oh, uh, no. It's a little, I'm a little tired today. It's 3.30. <laughs> so that's awesome. Um, I, you are enjoying a little bit of a break. I am. From your very busy schedule of <laughs> just taking over Hollywood at this point. Oh. Every Every hot... New uh, show that's on David Smith has a uh, hand in, I think. <laughs> well, two of them, thanks to you. Well, you took over so graciously, and you know, thank God they gave them back to me because I didn't even, it was touch and go, I think, for a little bit. But but that was fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dave, I should say, uh, David filled in for me uh, on the last episode of Veep when I suddenly took <laughs> took to the hospital to have twins. Um, David had planned on coming in, so it wasn't that big of a surprise, but uh, it was a surprise that his first day was my last day, and um, I didn't have much contact with him, and he just sort of jumped in and took over and was amazing, and nominated for an Emmy for his work also, so. Which was a big surprise, yeah. Yeah, and then I was on a break, and everyone loved David so much, it was an easy easy push easy little <laughs> tug to say could david smith come in and they were they were very happy to see your smiling face on the first uh four or five episodes four. Of, of the good place so i thank you for that thank you because you left me some wonderful sets that i just take credit for <laughs> so, yes. um, i'm gonna start like i usually do how did you get started in this waggy little world of ours um, well, I, I, I think those, I, I've said it many times, but I wanted to be an actor. Um, I, had a, I was in a play in the third grade, uh, and I really liked that. And all during high school and a little bit of junior high school, I worked at the community theater. And then I was in the drama club in high school. And I was also a fairly good art student. And um, 
I tried after I knew that I couldn't go to college uh, because my parents didn't we were very poor and I didn't have any money so I applied to the Cleveland Art Institute um, and they accepted me as a painter um, but I couldn't afford to go and I applied in Cleveland because my I had a sister who lived in Cleveland at the time and where are you from? South Carolina uh, Greenville South Carolina and um, so they accepted me, and then I auditioned for the North Carolina School of the Arts as an actor, and they accepted me, but I didn't have money for either. So after high school, I, I had a summer job, and I saved a little bit of money, and I went to Greenville Tech and took a um, drafting course uh, during the morning, and in the afternoons, I worked at a an architectural firm as a print boy, where I ran the Xerox machine, new new technology at that point, and the um, blueprint machine and oh, cut prints. Ammonia. Yes. Filling, <laughs> filling the machine with the ammonia. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And then I went home and had a nap after my mother gave me supper and um, got up and went to the theater, uh, the community theater. So uh, it, it was full kind day. of terrific. Yeah, yeah, full day. Full day. And then somehow I heard about the Cleveland Playhouse and I wrote a letter and they accepted me as an acting apprentice. And so I quit my job uh, making $85 a week in 1966 and um, went to Cleveland to work for $40 a week as an apprentice in the theater. Um, and I had a great time and uh, at the end of that year the producer said to me that I was a nice enough person but I wasn't much of an actor uh, and I got pissed off and I went back home to South Carolina and at the end of my summer I decided that I would go back to Cleveland after all and um, ended up spending 14 years at the Cleveland Playhouse where I became a prop master and a prop master in theater does what a combination, it's the combination of work that a prop master and a set decorator do in film and television. The scenery plus props. Um, well, dressing, you know, set dressing, essentially. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I never built the walls mm -hmm. um, or designed the walls. And then I would do all the hand props and what the actors carry. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a good stepping stone to um, um, and then, and then, quite by chance, uh, in 1978, a movie came to Cleveland um, to work at a summer stock company there. And um, Claudia Rebar was the decorator on it, mm -hmm. and and it was a movie called Those Lips, Those Eyes. And they needed a theater prop room, and someone got in touch with me, and I was not working that summer. I was on unemployment. And uh, they came to me and they rented set dressing from the theater for $1,000. And then they also paid me $1,000 for the labor. And I thought, well, oh, this is a fair <laughs> amount of money. <laughs> Since I had never only made $200 a week doing theater. And I still make that today. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, probably very true, counting inflation. Yes, exactly. Um, but anyway, and, and then, and so I spent a, a fair number of years in Cleveland, as I said, 14 years. And then I got uh, a job. I was pretty ambitious. And, and I got a job at the Metropolitan Opera which oh, wow. took me to New York 
Uh, and um, I had dallied in costume design as well as some set design in Cleveland. And uh, I got a job at the Metropolitan Opera working in the costume department as a buyer, shopper, and dyer. And um, I ended up working six whole weeks at the Met. <laughs> Uh, for $250 a week, living in New York, which was a little difficult, but thanks to friends, I couch surfed and then I had sublet after sublet. And um, I had, originally then I had written to CBS, and CBS had said to me that I seemed to have qualifications to be a set decorator, and if I was in New York, I should look them up. And Wait, CBS, like the network? The network. You just wrote a blank letter? I, I wrote CBS. a blank letter. Okay. I wrote a blank letter in 1978 to CBS, ABC, and NBC. And they, ABC and CBS, uh, NBC, wrote me back saying that they didn't use set decorators in television. Hmm. And I, later I found out that I meant they didn't use them in daytime television. Right. CBS said, yes, we do have set decorators. And... If you're in New York, look us up. So at the end of that season in 1978, I went to New York and I saw the woman who wrote me a letter and she said, if you were here, I'm sure we would hire you. So, and I don't remember all the details, it's so long ago, but somehow I took it upon myself to find a way to get to New York. That's, so that's how I got the job at the Met. And so um, when I got to New York, I started the Met job, and then the Met went out on strike, uh, but the musicians did, and um, I went to CBS, and they said, great, we'll, we'll keep you in mind, and when something comes up, we'll call you. And they did. They did. Uh, yep, and I spent uh, a, a little over eight years at CBS doing soap opera, and doing fill-in work as well before I did soap opera. Soap opera. I, I did um, I did a little bit of Search for Tomorrow, mm -hmm. uh, and then I did um, like two years on The Guiding Light and three years on As the World Turns. Don't I look at um, I look at daytime TV and think that's probably one of the best places to start. You learn a lot. Because you learn a lot quickly. You do. you got to turn it around. As, yeah. as quick as those actors have to learn all that dialogue, right. you got to turn around those sets. One of the good things, I think, that helps is that there, there are only three wall sets, basically. Right, for the most part. Yeah. Right. I, sidebar, I once went to CBS here on Beverly Television City and saw, I can't remember what soap it is, but I was amazed because it was a, an aisle where the cameras went like almost like a like a shopping aisle right where the cart goes yep. and on either side are all the three wall sets and i was like oh my god i never would have thought but how easy all right now we're in janet's yep. <laughs> house <laughs> yeah. all right now we're in the bar all right now we're down here so i was so amazed when i saw that and thought god that's how they that's how they get it so quickly yeah because they i mean they just turn it around i mean i i don't know if any Anybody even watches soaps anymore with just Finn? I think there's only two left. Yeah, I think there are. Yeah. I mean, um, it, it's too bad because it was a good yeah. learning ground for a yeah. lot of people. Yeah. A lot of good actors came out of soap opera. Yeah, um, well, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, and, and we were doing... Kim Delaney. We were doing two sessions a day. So in the morning, um, 
you would do whatever studio, what sets you could fit into the studio, mm. and then in the afternoon that they'd break for lunch, and then while the company was at lunch, the stagehands would come in and knock all those down and put up other new sets, mm -hmm. and we did an afternoon session. Um, it was crazy. It was the hot time for the soaps, though. Right. Yeah. Early eighties. Yeah. All my children. Yeah. As I said, kindling. Yeah. <laughs> I have a good actor friend who was on All My Children, and she still gets people who remember that. So. Who was it? Uh, Liz McKay. She. she did, um, you you were probably just a little too young. Uh, do you remember Dr. Joe? No. Yeah. Yeah. Now I got to. I mean, when Kim was on it, I watched it all the time. Right. I don't know. I think I was supposed to be in school. I know that I got to stay home. The day she died, <laughs> my mom and my grandmother and I sat and watched her blow up on a jet ski or something. It was kind of dramatic, being like, "What's going on?" And then she was in a hospital. Like I just remember all of that so vividly. It was like just the, in all of her, like, right? You know, because I was younger. I was seven or eight, or I think at the time. So, yeah, no, the soaps were huge. Yeah, yeah. So, so just for people who don't know, Kim is. Oh, Kim Delaney is my second cousin. Right. Yes. And then David and I also tie in later on because he did NYPD Blue. Right. And I and <laughs> and Kim Delaney, um, Kim Delaney's first, I think first. her first day was also my, or her first episode was also my first episode on NYPD Blue. That's yeah. so crazy yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, so you're there. So. I, and then how do you get into like TV and or film, like union-wise? How did that, how did you transition to union? Well, um, in New York, as I said, I was pretty ambitious. Yeah. Um, I think you have to be. I yeah. think one of the things that you keep saying, which I think is very important, is ambition and timing. Right. We have to, it's two that coincide for somehow for it all to work for us. Right, and and I think we're all lucky in some way. It, yes. If we're working in this industry, if we've had a career, we've been somebody has helped us. Somebody yeah. has. We've been in the right place because at the right time, helps them. and yeah. I think that too is we all. At least I do try to help other people. Yeah. Because no, I wouldn't be here if someone didn't help me. No, 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 absolutely. I'm always good about that. Is trying to to offer help and to listen. Um, so in New York. Uh, in the uh, in the 1980s, there was a competitive union to the IA. So, um, at CBS, the first couple of years at CBS, I worked non-union, and I was essentially a permit, or and, and I was a per diem. But CBS had their own individual little local for set decorators at in New York, mm -hmm. and it was local one A. And the big stagehands union was Local 1, and they also did theater. Um, local 1 in New York and Local 4 in Brooklyn for th theater. And then Local 52, IOTC Local 52, um, there were set decorators, or actually we were called uh, outside property masters, uh, because there's no classification in New York mm -hmm. for set decorators as such. There's a credit, but not, not in the union terminology. So, um, I somebody I try I thought well I'm going to try to get into local 52. So uh, I went and I um, someone told me that the test wasn't very difficult and I thought okay. Um, so I went and I took the test and I missed a couple of things on it but but I 
my name came up for vote and I didn't get in. Mm -hmm. and the test at that time was very simple. I had to say, um, what was a pancake? What was an apple box? Mm -hmm. uh, what is a philodendron? What is a jaguar? Uh, and how do I tie a bowlin? And I'm out. Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> I know well, one thing you just said, basically. <laughs> and I think I know what a pancake is. Like, <laughs> but I, I, I know you know what a pancake is now, you know. A, pa a, a, a pancake is a small, uh, like a quarter of an apple box. Oh, you know, okay. Or, uh, like okay, a, I know like what an a thin, apple box you know, is. Yeah, you know, an apple box. Well, there's an apple, half apple. Half apple. Yeah, <laughs> and so the, then the, the pancake is a little bigger, a little yeah. thinner portion of that. Um, but but anyway, so... Um, I, Obviously, uh, well, sometimes the locals can be, I can be a little, um, it helps to have, to be born in the right family, shall I say? Well, yeah. <laughs> nepotism, you know. <laughs> uh, any yeah. union. Yeah, or, yeah. Know. With any, uh, nepotism helps. Mob, mafia. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so those of who are, don't have the nepotism, we have to figure out how to get in. Yeah. So anyway, I didn't get in, but I was working at CBS, and then um, there was a competitive union called NABIT. Um, NABIT Local 15, and NABIT was the National Association of, Broad, of uh, Broadcasting Engineers and Technicians. And they had set up a competitive union to, local, to the IOTC Local 52, and they were now doing movies and television. And they had just done a big movie called Hester Street. Um, and I met Leslie Rollins, who was the, the set decorator for that, and he was NABIT. And um, I decided that I would try to get into NABIT. So I thought, okay, I now know what an apple box is and all of that. So, so and I said, I'm going to take the test. And someone said to me, oh, did you study for the exam, for the test? And I said, no. And they said, you better study because it's like really hard. And oh, they the said, test. yeah. Uh -huh. And I said, oh, really? And they said, yeah. Um, it takes, you know, a good four to five hours to do the test, and you have to answer all these questions, and there's a ton of true and false questions. You have to, um, one of the things that I had to do on the test was how do you decorate an empty room? Well, that's subjective. Well, you know, it was about, I learned, and, uh, you know, it's putting in the light switches, and, you know, oh. the phone boxes, and the ceiling fixtures, and the sconces, and the curtain rod brackets, <laughs> well, what's and... Set? Did they tell you what the set... Was it a classroom? Was it an office? No, it no, 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 but it was just an essay, so you just had to do it. Oh, so, wow. uh, and then you had to identify... And over there, you had to do carpet and glass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and plants. And plants. Yeah, and oh, no. greens, and, <laughs> and, and, and sometimes cars. Yeah, and soap opera, we did cars as well. On the set that yeah. they would do for, like, the yeah. blue screen or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God. Our green screen. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So, anyway, I, I did get into Nabit. Um, I, oh, well, yeah, you passed on, the hard on the, test. On the first time, exactly. There you go. And, and then my, um, I, I kept paying, bringing my name up to vote for the local 52 test. And over five times, I never got in. So, as it as fate would have it, my first movie I did in New York was 1984. I had not gone on staff at CBS. I was still working as a per diem. And uh, in 1984, I did um, uh, several Broadway shows, mm -hmm. and I did several off-Broadway shows, and I did part of the year on a soap opera, and I did 
a movie. Mm -hmm. And my first movie in New York was called Key Exchange, and it was a Navit movie. Mm. And uh, after the Navit, after Key Exchange, CBS offered me a job and to go on staff. Now they, they want you. Now they wanted me. <laughs> uh, and so I, I, it was like, okay, I, I took the job. But what happened was then I got fired from the soap operas. Uh, I got fired, and when I say soap, fired from the soap operas, the same producer fired me from both soap operas. Uh, he was doing uh, As the World Turns, and um, I got fired from that. And then I, he took over The Guiding Light later, and I got fired from that. Wow. There you go. Yeah. Just couldn't. Yeah. He just didn't yeah. like the sconces. No, 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 no. It, it's all it's all very political yeah, yeah, and yeah. about money. It usually is. Yeah. It usually yeah. has nothing to do yeah. with a fantastic job you put on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. And something other yeah. than that. Yeah. The last season on uh, my last time on Guiding Light, we had a storyline where um, Kim and I think Josh crashed uh, on a on a desert island. <sighs> I'm sorry, it wasn't Desert Island, it was an island, and it was a lot of jungle. And somehow there was a jeep there, and they drove the jeep through and cut down palm trees and with machetes and crashed their way through. And then we had a, a big beach, and it was in the middle of winter, and we spent a ton of money on greenery. I mean, that sounds fun, but... It was hard. Not, it was hard. Not really, if you're doing the green. It sounds like fun because the green's in the middle, but not me. <laughs> That's like lost. Yeah. So then you talk to Carol Kelly about it, and yeah. everybody's like, oh, that man, that was, no. no. It was, I run a beach every day. Everything was sand. Everything was in this jungle and making a jungle. and. It's hard. Yeah. It's really it's hard. hard. Yeah. Those elements that yeah. you think are like, oh, that's fun. No, yeah. it's not. But, they're, awesome. but you really appreciate what a good greensman can do and, and yeah. does do. And make yeah. sense of it all. Yeah. That's, yeah. especially in situations like that. Where there's a jeep, yeah. all of a sudden, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's soap opera world. It could be there could yeah. be a jeep, there could be a plane, could have been anything. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you get there, and then how do you get to LA? So um, after I got fired the, the second time from soap opera, I, I spent a couple of years in New York bumming around and just doing freelance. I was doing commercials mostly, mm. and. Um, I went for a movie interview. Well, Nabit, Nabit withdrew their charter in New York. Mm -hmm. And so I had gotten into 50, I mean, into Local 15 as, and Nabit. And then um, Nabit withdrew their charter. And we, a group of us, got together, a group of set decorators. And we, along with some other people, weren't involved with trying to decide whether we were going to join the IBEW or whether we were going to go with the IATSE. Mm -hmm. And at that point, the, the IA was pretty much the, the sort of bitter enemies of NAVIT. Mm -hmm. um, and there were half the faction thought that we should not go with the IA because they had rejected all of us to begin with. And the other half felt that, um, you know, that the, well, that was the better answer. So uh, ultimately what happened is um, the people in Navit were absorbed into Local 52. And um, so I had paid initiation dues to get into Navit, but I didn't have to pay to get oh, into well, Local 52 because we were all grandfathered in. And then, so I, I only did one movie as Navit and I did, I never did a movie in New York as Navit. I mean, as, as uh, IATSE. 
and then um, but I was doing lots of commercials um, and then there had been some boycott by producers of New York uh, because of the Teamsters uh, people uh, there was something in the contract that they didn't like and there had been a big slowdown so everybody in New York sort of dropped down one notch so the people doing the really big movies were doing small movies and small movies people were doing you know bigger commercials and then big it just pushed everybody down and I didn't have a lot of contacts because I was had been I'd lost about five years of networking by working in soap opera right, right. Um, so but I, I went for a movie interview and I didn't get the job, and I didn't get the job, and I knew that I should have gotten the job, and the, the designer that I spoke with, he knew that I was the right person for the job, and uh, instead they went with a, a young woman who was fairly young and inexperienced, but who's very well established today, and um, she got the job. And I got annoyed, and I went home, and I made a reservation, it was winter, and I made a reservation to come to L.A. shortly after the holidays. And um, I took all my savings and I came out mm -hmm. here uh, in 91. And, uh, but one good thing had happened. Uh, I knew that I had CBS out here and I could always go to work at CBS mm -hmm. uh, because I had worked a little bit out here on The Young and the Restless. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, Nabit had said to us in New York when they pulled the charter you, sh you can transfer your East Coast membership to the West Coast and just a few of us did that Leslie Rollins and wow, I Wow, that is huge That's huge, that's huge I didn't realize how huge it was Oh my gosh because it's very hard to go from one union to the other Yeah you joined one and then got into another two, really. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, and then <laughs> this is the crazy part. And so then I come out here to LA and, and I have a really hard first year. Um, I, not really, I shouldn't say that. I, I, had a, I had a hard time on the second year. The first year I came and an actor friend of mine was doing a series and she said, um, why don't you go meet uh, Ed Stevenson and uh, Michael Hines, mm -hmm. uh, and they were doing The Golden Girls mm -hmm. and Blossom and Herman's Head. Mm -hmm. And um, I got hired at non-union, mm -hmm. uh, but a job that was out here and gave me a whole 22 episodes, and I did uh, a season of Herman's Head and Blossom. Which I and, love. <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and that worked a little bit while I was here right. uh, first. and. Um, then at some point during all of this, Navit pulled the charter in local in LA, local thirty, um, not local thirty-three. Um, the the Navit local pulled the charter here, and we got absorbed into local forty-four. Wow, wow. I mean, I I don't know if anyone can really comprehend how lucky that is. <laughs> no, 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 no. And, on both coasts. Oh, I know. And then on top of that. I then took the 829 United Scenic Artist exam in New York, and uh, and I uh, because one one year, the last year of the Guiding Light, we worked under the 829 contract, mm -hmm. 
as an ally Is that crowd. videotape? Because I know when I worked on Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy, there's like yeah. some videotape yeah. sort of contract yeah. that it's not really... Yeah. It's it, it, it wasn't on. a videotape contract as such, but it was a, definitely the product was videotape. Yeah. Yeah. You said Blossom. Right. Do you know the influence you had on teenage <laughs> girls? girls. <laughs> I mean, I mean, for it too, the, the wardrobe of Blossom for me, and but the room and everything... Was so influential. I well, mean, well, I, I, it was all set when I, when I arrived. Um, but you kept it going. I, I kept mean, it going. There's, yeah. There's yeah. always a thing because I come into a lot of shows too, and I'm like, well, I didn't really do that. But you keep it going, and you keep yeah. the integrity yeah. going. And was it fun? Was it a fun show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it, it was great fun to be working, yeah. you know, in LA. Um, I, I did that with uh, another. We were working as um, assistant art directors, and mm-hmm. um, I got hired. Uh, basically to work as a set decorator uh, on the two shows and um, Rosen Rosencrantz, uh, Roland Rosencrantz got hired as also an assistant art director, uh, non-union, and he did more of the, of the dealing with the, the more like a set, not an art director. Um, so he, he dealt with the walls and mm-hmm. the painting and... So you did two at the same time because they had different tape nights? Yes, that, yes, awesome. but they were on the same lot, and they were both with Thomas Harris shows, mm-hmm. and they were both at um, Sunset Gower. And Herman's Head was so much fun. Uh, well, I did. I, I loved Herman's I, Head. I did that. I that I did do the first season of that, so I had a little bit of hand so in, in in creating the the look of that. And yeah. then they ripped it off in that cartoon, whatever. That was. It was like <laughs> five, a couple of years ago. It's the same same thing. The little voices in your head, and when it was all yeah. cartoon characters. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. That was a good one. And then you went into NYPD Blue? No. Then um, uh, there was a decorator named Bill Harp in town. And uh, Bill Harp had come from New York. And he he had been a well-established set decorator in Mm. New York at CBS. And uh, here in Los Angeles, he also owned a company called Prop Services West. And... He had done um, moonlighting, and then he took over, I think, on the seventh season, maybe the sixth and seventh season of L.A. Law. And, oh, right. You did L.A. Law. <laughs> and he, um, for some reason, they opted, either he opted not to come back for the eighth season, or they opted for him not to come back. So... We had a mutual friend named Wes Laws, and uh, I had gone to see Wes in Palm Springs, uh, and uh, Bill Hart also had a house in Palm Springs, and while I was there that weekend, he told Wes that he was not going to go back to L.A. Law. And did you raise your hand really quick? <laughs> Wes Laws, my friend Wes Laws. So, and, 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 and Bill were talking, and they both thought that I should maybe meet with Michael Mayer, who was the designer at that time of who L.A. Law. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Three oh, degrees yeah. of separation yeah. right here. Yes. Um, i got to get him on this. Yeah. That would be fun. That would be great fun. He would never. I don't think he would ever do it. Yeah, he would. Would he? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. such a hoot. Uh, Okay, so you so you meet Michael Mayer. So, uh, so I had gotten into forty four, uh, and but I did not have my. This was really crazy. They they absorbed us, but I still had to get days to get rostered. Because they wanted their money. Yeah, <laughs> but 
and I didn't offer them it. I didn't have any money to give it. Anyway, um, I, I, it's murky, the, the history of this now in my head. Um, but anyway, I do know that um, I, I met Michael, and he gave me the seal of approval, and I met um, the producers the following Monday. The, the, all this happened on Saturday. Wow. Saturday, and then I came back to L.A., and I met Michael on Sunday, and then I went to meet people at Fox on Monday, and they hired me. Were you a fan of Ballet Ball? Yeah. 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 I made up uh, words to the theme song. Oh, you did? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, well, I, I was like eight or like ten or something, and I was obsessed with that show. Well, I've heard you talk about how you, you, you were obsessed with TV. But, and, oh, my God, and, yeah. 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 yeah, I could probably, if I put the theme song on, I might be able to like remember a few of my lyrics. But oh, I can see the dementia Kim down the line. Yeah. Kim was on L.A. Law, yeah. one or two episodes. Yeah. Because that's how she knew Jimmy Smith yeah. for NYPD. So yeah, so, but I watched it before then. Yeah, I don't know, my parents just let me watch TV. I don't know, they wanted somebody to hang out with, I guess. <laughs> 10 o'clock was like the best time that all the good shows came on at 10 o'clock. Do you remember when Rosalind fell down the elevator yes. shaft? Yes. Oh my God. It was stunning. I, it, I, it, I jumped up out of my seat, I think. It was, it was so unexpected and something that wasn't, something that's done a lot today right. to surprise viewers. But that was like... Yeah, major. It was major. What just happened? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I remember at the time it, people used to talk about that uh, LA Law was like the water cooler conversation oh, the next yeah. day. You know, Harry Hamlin. Oh man. Yeah, yeah. Benny. Oh my God, so many good characters. Oh, I know, I know. Really I might good. I rewatch that. Actually. I wonder <laughs> if they have. A... They do. I they think. Do? Yeah, they... I would rewatch that. And yeah. See if it holds up. Yeah, yeah. I bet it does. I mean, actually, to see Los Angeles now that I live here would be interesting too because there's always things like you look back at at least I do movies of like old LA and I'm like oh my god that's how I used to live on that block oh my god look at that like yeah. it's so crazy that I live in a place that I was obsessed with for so long what? where I'm a part of this it's crazy to me but yeah no which is great but 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 that show was really terrific because we were at the Fox lot mm-hmm. um, and it was 90 92 93 um, and it was still pretty much operating like the old studio system. We had we had a fair number of set dressers. Mm-hmm. We had many trucks. Uh, the set decorator had a van and a driver. Uh, and um, uh, <laughs> and the fixture department did came in and did all the fixtures on stage for you. And oh, the drapery wow. department came in and hung all the drapes. And there was a nursery at, still at Fox. Wow. Uh, and they came and did all the plants. Full service. Full service. Full service. There's yeah. a, no lots like that anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. How many sets do you think you had per episode on that? Uh, I don't think more than three or four. I'm trying to think. I think even two might have pushed it some days. <laughs> Push Michael Mayer over the edge. <laughs> no, 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 no. I just, I, I remember not being very busy because. Oh, that's great. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was nice. It was You're nice. You're not really busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then that was the earthquake. So that was the Northridge oh, earthquake. Right. Yeah. Oh, wow. And how did that affect? Did anything fall? <laughs> uh, well, um, I remember coming to work, um, and p- they were doing picket fences on the lot as well. Oh, right. And um, I saw the UPM, well, 
I had come out here, let me back up a little bit. I had come out here once before, mm -hmm. very briefly, to work on The Young and the Restless uh, in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And uh, while I was here, there was an earthquake at CBS in the 80s. And so I, I, I knew what the sensation was. Mm -hmm. So and when the Northridge quake happened, um, I was living in an apartment, I, my first apartment that I rented by myself in, New, in L.A., and um, I felt the rattling, and I heard the crashing, and I, okay, I got up, and I, and I saved a couple of things. I heard a few things got broken, mm -hmm. and then I um, took a shower in the dark, and, and I walked up to my car, and I got in my car, and I drove to Fox because we had an early call. <laughs> And when I arrived at the gate... That's how sick we all are. I know. That's why I <laughs> worked until the day I delivered. We're sick. Yeah. we got to get to work. Well, i got to do it. i got to get done. I mean, I didn't know. I didn't know that the city was, you know, was, <laughs> that it was did major. Did they you on the lot? Was yeah, they open? did. They did. Open. They did. Well, and I remember, I remember the... Um, the, the UPM was a little annoyed from, from picket fences because no one was showing up. Oh, wow. And so then we learned basically that, that, you know, the reason why it was because people could, yeah, yeah, damage. Yeah, it was a big one. It was a big one. So, uh, but, but then uh, Billy Finkelstein wrote the earthquake into the story at L.A. Law. I don't know if I yeah. Probably. Yeah. That was what I saw. So we didn't clean up. We didn't clean up a lot of the rubble. That oh. there wasn't. There wasn't a major amount, but there was definitely some damage. Oh, he wrote it into that episode you were shooting. Yeah. Wow. So you didn't have to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been bad. It was just like a couple pictures. Yeah. Just yeah. off. off no, well, I think we have brought in a little bit of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, he he did write it in. Oh. So. Wow. God, no, I love. I mean, that like thirty-something. I don't know. Oh. Huge fans of like. I loved thirty something. I love. I loved thirty something. Yeah, I love thirty. Yeah. I always try to find that house over in Hancock Park because <laughs> <laughs> I know it's there somewhere. Um, so then. So. Did that bring you to NYPD Blue? So while I was doing NYPD Blue. Um, now I have to back up just a little bit. Yeah. Because I, I, I keep you, jumping ahead. You know, you know this story a little bit as well. So, I had worked with a designer in New York by the name of Richard Hankins, mm -hmm. and Richard Hankins, uh, his wife at that time was in the soap opera um, of the. Uh, she was in Guiding Light, and she came out here, and he came out here, and he was looking for work, and um, somehow both he and I had track down Paul Eads, as you know, <laughs> who was the designer on a show called Civil Wars. Mm -hmm. And um, the, uh, which is also Botchko. Which was Botchko, exactly. Yeah. I didn't yeah. watch Civil Wars. Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> I did. I liked it. Um, and, and Billy Finkelstein was one of the producers oh. on that. Um, anyway, so I, I went to meet Paul and Richard me went to meet Paul and it was discussed at that time that because NYPD Blue was so heavy uh, doing so many sets in so many locations uh, that there was a possibility that Paul really wanted to have two art directors and two set decorators. He felt it was necessary for the production. Well, of course, 
by today's standards. Uh, that and I was just going to ask. It didn't happen. Uh, but, oh, I was going to ask how many how many sets of busy then. Oh, you know, I I don't remember. I yeah. I don't think more than six or seven an yeah. episode, if if that. But that's how it should be. Yeah. I mean, to really. Yeah. As opposed to twenty eight or yeah. yeah 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 it's it's really hard um so um i obviously paul didn't get to hire anybody else um but i was working on la law and we shared the same art department as not only some of picket fences was in that same art department and was LA the Law. Art department above stage five and no it was before were? that it was oh. um it was in the old right across from stage uh, nine I think because that's like I've they seen, used to be all dressing rooms yeah. I've seen pictures of like Warner Brothers where they all of the art departments were together right when I first worked at Sony the art department was all together I was out there with like Spider-Man and right uh, uh, other TV shows and it was great yeah yeah it was like a, it was like an art department hangout it was you got to meet other people you got to see what other shows were doing it was well, great uh, and and I think working on the lot still offers you that, you know, because yeah, you, yeah. you get to go and you get to see what other people are doing. You poke your head in and you, yes. you know, you chat and yeah. you see. Um, but but I got to know Paul and Marianne Biddle, the set decorator on that, a little bit. And um, they were talking about doing a pilot for uh, a new show called Murder One. Mm -hmm. And um, if that got... If that got picked up, then they would need somebody to take over. So um, the next season, they needed an art director. And um, so I did one, one season of L.A. Law. Mm -hmm. And then um, my friend Richard, at that time, mm -hmm. took over um, as an art director, or came in as the art director on the second season of NYPD Blue. Mm -hmm. And then halfway through that season, Paul and Marianne were going to go do Murder One. And um, Richard then took over for Paul, and then I came in and I took over for Marianne. Mm -hmm. And um, in the interim, after my season on L.A. Law, I did um, half a season of a show called Burke's Law, and in its revived yeah. state. I mean, that's that's a nice little run, little domino effect. <laughs> it, absolutely, absolutely. And and I got that because of Bob Ziliox, who was the president of the SDSA, had newly formed, and he and I was part of that organization from the very beginning. So that, so it's been 26 years yeah. now. So, so this time that you're trying to get into like your shows and everything, you're also a part of starting the Set Decorator Society. Yeah, but of course, we didn't know that it was going to become what it's become, you know. It was just a group of us around at that time talking about issues and trying to... Uh, it, it was all started... The Set Decorator Society of America was started basically because um, of the breakup of the studio system. Mm -hmm. And when there was a big art department at Fox and a big art department at Sony and a big art department... As you, as you said, you know, at Universal and Warner Brothers, and they knew each other, but you essentially got work on the lot that way because of those contacts. Okay, yeah. And then with all the other little, with the breakup of all that, um, we, uh, some well-established decorators in town felt like they were losing ground and, and weren't maintaining the respect. Mm -hmm. and, and, um, and so 
uh, just uh, not, not not I don't think we were, anybody was totally disrespectful about it. It's just that the working conditions were changing well, because yeah. the business has changed drastically. Yeah, you know. And look, I mean, you're going like one hours and half hours. We all have different demands and right. everything, right. and it's very easy for our positions to be. Oh, the art director could do that if they wanted it. I'm, I'm sure in that time they because look, production design wasn't even a title. Right. I mean, the the art directors worked for that also. Right. So, I I I know that the the decorators that got together had nothing but great intentions, and and we all still do of just keeping our craft and with and holding it to a higher ground of, of standards that that we want to uphold as as set decorators. Well, and not only that, it's to instill in the younger members, the younger decorators who are coming in about. What the responsibility is, and how, uh, and what the job requirements are. You know, I mean, there no longer is an exam on any, no. in any craft. I mean, I, I, there might be there might be a few that you have to do. Say, I think special effects have some things that they have to do, to, to get um, certified. Well, we have to take a lot of class, like for our union, for our IATSE, we have to take a bunch of like classes and right. stuff like that. But that's not yeah. What's an apple? That's not like no. Or what style of furniture, or, right. or what, what, what period is yeah, this chair yeah. from? Is this suitcase 1940, or is right. this 1920, or is this 1970? Right. You know? Which I think would be good, and not that I want to hold younger people to a higher standard than I didn't have to do. I gladly would have taken a test. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, it's not because, you know, it wasn't there for me to take. So I gladly think that it should be something that... You know, it's, it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, but I think, obviously, I mean, we're just chatting, so who yeah. knows where we're going to go with this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I, I think all of us, you learn something on every project. Yes. And so the more the more variety that you have in the projects, the more you learn. And you, none of us knew all this to begin with. And you know, and I I certainly knew a lot coming into it because I'd had 14 years of theater, mm -hmm. and, and I knew a fair amount about it, period work. And and I also bought a lot of antiques at the time because that's all that I could afford. Mm -hmm. It was just you know secondhand, tossed off stuff. Um, and I had good relationships with a lot of vendors, and I found out that Victorian furniture was sort of my my like and my specialty, and I learned a lot about it. Um, but but we just we all learn by doing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always say that for me, Bones was the best first decorating job I could have had because they were huge sets. Right. Which was if I look at it now, I'm like, how did you do that? Because it was an exploded hotel room. Or a plane went down, right. or you know we're in this you know a Chinese uh, alley, right. or you know we're in Tokyo, whatever. There's there were so many diverse things that I got to do. It was like a decorating school, yeah, and it was fantastic for me. Yeah, and sort of playing into I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm pretending what I, to know what I'm doing. Sure, but it's a it was a real like learning on the job. Well, you you know I mean. I, you, you say pretend, but but I think I think one does have to own that you're doing it, and so you have to find a way to do it. Um, so so I think you can't be intimidated by it. You can't be so scared that you're moving in your tracks. I mean, I I do think as a young decorator, and until you get, I'm old, been around a long time. 
I no longer have the fear that, oh my God, how am I going to pull this off? Although I do think many times, oh, how are we going to pull that off in this length of time? Yeah. And there's always serendipity that comes into play, which I, I don't understand how that happens. Um, but uh, when you're young, I think the first couple of days on every job, you're, you're just very scared oh, about yeah. like, oh my God, it's pretty intimidating. Will I be able to ever do this one? And you find a way. You yeah. definitely find a way. I mean, I still get, like, did I get enough smokes? Did they pull enough smoke? Like, yeah. that whole thing of, do I have enough? Oh, I got too much. Ooh, get that back in the truck. Get it back in the truck. <laughs> I got too much. I don't want everybody to see me. <laughs> don't unpack those boxes. <laughs> I pulled too much. I pulled too much. But, I mean, I still do it. I did it, like, last week. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, 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 I think until recently, I've never had more than, way more than enough. And, and I think... The last thing that I did, I, I went a little overboard. So I forget what it was, but I did say to the dressers, like, stop unpacking. Stop unpacking. Yeah, I, I've had enough. <laughs> I, I've got enough. Much. Well, I think, too, also, you get into a set and you edit. Yeah. So, yeah. and on this project, I'm 25 miles away, and it's shooting that day. I don't, I don't need to. No, no, no. So no, no. There, is, there is always that thing, too, of safety. Of course. Definitely. I'm sorry, guys. I have to bring two sofas. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, and part of that is if you only have one day to dress it. Yeah. You're moving in. You have a day to dress it. And the next morning they shoot. And you're 25 miles out. You, may, you might start at 4 o'clock and you might finish at 6 o'clock throwing stuff into the set, and which is great. And so prop houses all closed between five and six and you you hope that if you run long or the director wants more or the you know whatever happens you have a few extra so that's one thing uh and you definitely have to have that but but there's so uncertain so much uncertainty and and part of the hassle the thing that i don't like about the accelerated pace Mm -hmm. is that what's really nice if you have a few more days to to Put things into a set and then walk away from it and then come back yeah. let it breathe and your eyes don't a- and then your you, eyes go to yes and then and then you can start to to do that final last layer at that point but you know I, I mean i'll tell you what i'm on a film i thought it'd be different <laughs> and it's not it's not I, I mean i'm doing tomorrow we have three three sets like it's multiple sets a day yeah. which yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I construction. They we're all on this tight budget of like the prep and the wrap sure. and everything. So I don't. At least on this film, I'm not getting any more time than I usually do, which stinks. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Bad. I don't think there's very much difference between movies and television at the moment. I mean, in, unless you're at the top tier, you happen to have a really. Like the Avengers. Do you think they're getting like a week to dress something? I, I, I don't know. I, I would say yeah, probably. But I would say the event, uh, that if you asked the crew on the Avengers, or do they have enough time? And they would say no. Do they have enough money? They would all say no. Because I don't think, no matter how many zeros or where the commas are, um, or the decimal point, you know, I there's never quite enough. But you find a way. That's look at me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look how ridiculous <laughs> it was. And I tried to warn you. I know, but I didn't believe you. <laughs> I, but but yes, it was crazy. It yeah. was crazy. That one episode, that one season, we did forty-three sets in one episode. I was on the sound stage crying. Yeah. Crying yeah. between 
having we had like nine sets in one day and I had to keep switching like progressing this one set and so they would turn around and I'd have to dress it and then I dress it this way that like and I like broke down I couldn't I was like this is insane if I I'm, and you know, there's things like, where is, where is this? Where is that poster? Where is this? And then you're like, I don't have time. I have, to, I have to make it up. I have to do something else. And it's like, every single one in my department has to be on their A game yeah. in situations like that. And on beep, we had to be on our A game from the day we started prepping till the day we shut down. There was no breaks. It was so exhausting. You never clear the hurdle. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Never got like a proper gold room. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like never had time to put away any of those purchases or like, where's that lamp? Oh no. All right, gone. Buy another one. Can't. I don't, we don't have time. I don't yeah. have time. Just buy another one. I've been in that situation. Yeah. 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 But you know. It's, it's, I guess it's like childbirth. You forget, and then you're like, oh, I miss me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Remember when we were all together in it? Together. But but that show, for you especially, um, you were very appreciated on that. I, I think the art department, the production designer, I think we were. Yeah. I think it came from the design that Jim Gloucester had and, and how much he respected the show and what he wanted to do. Those sets were gorgeous right i agree and i've said like those sets went 12 16 feet tall sometimes <laughs> you never got up above an actor's head but the detail and the painting that went up to the cornices like he didn't stop it was gorgeous yeah so, no yeah. i i found that really rather amazing the quality of, of work that got turned out so quickly so quickly yeah yeah construction was great matt haynes i mean construction was phenomenal on right. that. yeah yeah so i i don't know i don't know how we got <laughs> what are you talking about? NYPD Blue and then the SDSA and then one See that? There, yeah. there you go. Exactly. Made it work. Yeah. <laughs> don't you just love his voice? I really, I, I don't know. It's not that it puts me to sleep, but I find it very comforting. I do love his voice. I gotta say, uh, I hope you found that as interesting as I did in talking with him because I've heard his story before, but he really got into some detail there, but it's a struggle. And, and also the way he found his path, I mean, being an actor and then going into uh, set dressing, like, you know, you find these little paths and then you form a passion for things. So uh, I have episode two of his interview coming up. and. In this episode, he talks more about specific projects that he's been a part of, especially the holiday, uh, NYPD Blue. Um, he, he gets into the, the details of shows that he's been a part of. So I hope you'll tune in. Decorating Pages is sponsored by Stogie Floaty. Float them if you got them. Visit stogiefloaty.com 